This is Cultural Debris with host Alan Cornett. Welcome back to Cultural Debris. We were thawing out from an ice storm here in the bluegrass. We had a strong blast of global warming blow through at the end of last week. Thankfully, we suffered no power outages, and I could employ the services of the fireplace out of enjoyment rather than necessity. I keep checking to see if any of my bulb flowers are starting to poke through the ground. So far, maybe a shoot or two, or perhaps I'm just imagining it. I keep seeing photos from England where their snowdrops and crocuses bloomed a month ago. I just figured England would be in Zone 6B like a normal place. The cultural debris trip to Genoa continues to generate interest. This curated fall trip will feature cultural sites off the beaten path, extraordinary food, and thoughtful conversation focused on some carefully selected, but light, readings designed to complement our explorations. It would be a trip like nothing else you've experienced. I'll have more details soon. But if you are interested, you can email me at culturaldebrispodcast at gmail.com to hear those details first. This will be a very small and select group, so don't miss out. I've already heard from several people and hope to hear from you. Our poem is from Thomas Kinsella, Mirror in February. The day dawns with scent of must and rain, of opened soil, dark trees, dry bedroom air. Under the fading lamp, half-dressed, my brain idling on some compulsive fantasy, I towel my shaven jaw and stop and stare, riveted by a dark, exhausted eye, a dry, downturning mouth. Seems again that it is time to learn, in this contented, crumbling place of growth to which, for the time being, I return. Now plainly, in the mirror of my soul, I read that I have looked my last on youth, and little more, for they are not made whole that reach the age of Christ. Below my window, the awakening trees, hacked clean for better bearing, stand defaced, suffering their brute necessities. And how should the flesh not quail that span for span is mutilated more? In slow distaste, I fold my towel with what grace I can, not young and not renewable, but man. Please take a moment to leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and also Spotify now allows ratings as well. You'll find that the podcast is still on Spotify, where I have not demanded they remove it. Whatever platform you might be listening through, it's a big help to leave a top rating so others might hear about cultural debris. Our guest this episode is Father Harrison Eyre, one of the co-hosts of the podcast Clerically Speaking. I definitely recommend that podcast, as it is a favorite of mine. Father Harrison's new book is Mysterion, The Revelatory Power of the Sacramental Worldview. It is a thoughtful book, which I commend to you. We discuss the idea of sacramentality, the dangers of modernity and acedia, and the benefits of the Marian stance. Now join me as I talk with Father Harrison Ayer. Father Harrison Ayer, welcome to Cultural Debris. Thanks for having me, Alan. Although you I would prefer are... to be, I'd prefer to be there in person. You know, as Nick was in person with you, you know, that would be a better fit. But <laughs> but this is this is a this is this is fine. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, um, I, maybe you'll make maybe you'll make it down to Kentucky, and yep. uh, and we can we can do a face to face. Yep. I, um, you know, I I 
hope to run into you up in uh, up at Notre Dame, and you you got called away. And yeah. So that was, uh, Did you? So you ended up going. I did go and yeah. uh, had laryngitis, oh, and geez. so it, <laughs> which wasn't which wasn't fun. It it put off uh, a podcast uh, recording for a while because I had laryngitis for about a week. I just, oh. It was uh, it was not fun, but uh, but I had a good time at Notre Dame. Wish you had been there. It Me too. Been, uh, oh. Even even more fun. That was my first uh, my first time up there for the conference. So, it's an amazing week. It's amazing uh, time. It, it's it's it, Catholic it was Disneyland. A lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, yeah. and uh, looking forward uh, to getting back. Hope to hope to get up there every year mm-hmm. uh, from from now on because nice. it was uh, yeah more more fun than I'd had in a while with uh, all all lockdowns and so forth. It was right. nice to like be around. And it was real just it's uh, yep yep, and it's just it's uh, what I, what I loved about it, like after my first time there was. It's it's a, it's intellectually stimulating, obviously, but they really foster a lot of opportunity for community and friendship, and discussion with people. And you can tell that a lot for a lot of the people who are at this conference. This this is not just it's not just intellectual desire when they're seeking certain questions, but it comes from lived experience of faith, right? Like they're living what they're talking about so often, which is not always the case with academics. <laughs> so, well, right. right. <laughs> so it was just, it's something, I mean, and then of course they have, you know, some of the rock stars, right? Like Alistair McIntyre does his lecture every year, which is just like, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This one, uh, this one actually got a, uh, caused a bit of a stir and got kind of a big, uh, write-ups and rebuttals and that sort of thing so uh so that was um you know that was kind of exciting so uh so so a fun time but yep. next year hopefully uh hopefully we'll we'll be there and yep. uh but i i appreciate you coming on from the no problem from the from the great white north of uh <laughs> of canada where uh you know it's uh you've got uh polar bears everywhere and that yep. kind of thing yep and we wear three winter jackets and five toques and uh <laughs> at all times even in the house because the heating can't work because it's you know minus 100 fahrenheit or whatever um right and exactly. we and we we yeah and there's 10 feet of snow every day so yeah you know it's just normal for us up here in canada yeah well <laughs> I, I know you know Fa- father anthony isn't here to give you a hard time about being canadian so no I, exactly uh... <laughs> trying to step in there well so so this is um this is sort of odd for me because honestly there's probably not not anybody of uh other than you and 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 father anthony that i have listened to more hours of (laughs) with just podcast hours yeah um and uh for over the you know the past probably couple of years so uh so it's you know it's it's a little um a, a little disconcerting to hear like me talking and you responding to me instead of, <laughs> instead so of father Anthony my... jumping in with his wisecracks. <laughs> well, that's, that's true. I'll try to come up with a wisecrack or two, but, um, but you know, there, there might've been times that I've, that I've yelled at the podcast or something, but nobody yep. ever answered me. So it, uh, so this is a little bit, is a little bit different, but I that's really best, do appreciate the, being on. That's the best thing about podcasting. No one, well, they can yell back at you if they want to like email <laughs> us or whatever, or leave a bad review or something like that, which no one should ever do to a podcast. <laughs> no, but right. it's like, that is yeah. exactly, yes. that you is know, exactly everyone who's great. listening should definitely give five stars, uh, five stars and a positive to, review, to, what, yeah, whatever yeah, format to cultural you're debris. Yep. On. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, but it's like, yeah, it's uh, that's the best part. It's like no one can yell back at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I I have benefited a lot yeah. uh, from clerically speaking uh, over over the years, and and recommend that people listen to you all. But you are here with me to talk about a new book that you have out that yep. I am holding in my hand called mysterion which is kind of a mysterious name so tell me tell me what mysterion means so mysterion is the greek word for mystery um and that word is when it was translated into the latin vulgate um by saint jerome was translated as sacramentum right so uh mystery the words mystery and sacrament go hand in hand really and so, uh, and it was interesting. I did not come up with the title because I'm actually really horrible at titling. I, I just, <laughs> my creative brain can't go there. Like, I was just not creative in that regard, I should say. Um, so the editors and team there kind of came up with this. Uh, yeah, Mysterion, the sacramental power, or the revelatory power of the sacramental worldview, which is you know, a bit of a mouthful. And it can seem even a bit of a daunting title at times, but it's really not, it's, it's, not a, it's not a book of, it's not an academic book, right? It's not a, 
It's not a book of no, theology. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, and it's this is the idea to try and, and, and communicate, I think, some deep theological truths that I've come to know and appreciate over the years, but in a way that I hope that whether you're the more academically inclined or the non, the person who doesn't read any theology at all, both can come to the book and receive something from it, which is kind of usually my style. <laughs> so I try to be that way to kind of bridge those gaps to lead people up or to make things accessible. Um, hope, and so, yeah, the, the book is really about discovering that sacramentality is at, not just, it's at the heart of being human and it's why the Christian life live, is lived this way, not just in the seven sacraments, but really in the whole way of being as a Christian. Well, hold that thought because yep. we're going to return to that. But, but before we dive in further, I, I do want to comment on, on just the, uh, the, the appearance of the book, the cover, the mm-hmm. jacket, yeah, and how uh, and how striking these are. Now, yeah, I I think this is the first time that I've talked with an author about the outside of their book <laughs> before we talk about the inside. <laughs> but uh, but this but this is a book that I I think we really need to we need to make note because uh, there was a lot of a lot of work and planning, uh, not just the dust jacket, but then when you pull the dust jacket off. You've got you've got uh, beautiful illustrations behind it, and even even the end papers are uh, are decorated, which is a sort of an old style book design technique that you don't see as much these days. Yeah, so this was this is all part of the brilliance of Sister Danielle, who is a daughter of Saint Paul. So this is from Pauline Books and Media. So working very closely with the sisters in publishing this book. It was, uh, I mean, the genesis of the book actually came from actually uh, the first Notre Dame, the, the only one I've been to so far, the first Notre Dame conference I went to, I guess it had been three years ago, three years, two years ago. I don't know. Time is, time is a flat circle now with COVID uh, <laughs> a few years ago. Uh, so myself and father Anthony and a friend of ours, uh, Shannon last and sister Teresa gave a panel on friendship in a digital age. And, you know, we're hanging out for the weekend, going to talks, chatting and everything. And Sister Teresa starts, like, pitching to Father Anthony. Hey, you guys should do a book. Uh, you guys have a good podcast. It's popular. You know, you guys have a good style with each other. You should write a book with each other. And we, we tried it. And I think, you know, just different stuff was going on at the time. It got hard to, to do that together. Um, and so it kind of just then I'm like, well, I could try something, I guess. And I said, I've always wanted to talk about, like, why sacramentality is so important in the life of the church. And so, you know, I pitched it to them. And so this is really the fruit. And it's, you know, when you write a book, it's not just the writer. It's the whole team, the editors who say, simplify, make this accessible, put a story here, right? You need to, those are, which is great because I tend to just write and just send, (laughs) which ADHD, I can't do details. Editors, oh, like actually has been the great thing. There's editors who will do the correcting for me (laughs) and I don't have... I have to pay them or anything? This is amazing. This is like a well, this is and, like a dream most come true. Editors live to do that. They want oh, they live to correct. <laughs> God bless them because I can't do that in a million years. But uh, but so we had a team meeting last January over Zoom, and that's when Sister Danielle, she, God bless her, uh, she said to me in our meeting, she said, "I just want you to know, I read the manuscript three times." I'm like, oh wow, okay. She goes, "I love this book so much," and then her art brain just goes into full drive. She goes, I have this idea. And, you know, I got we have to convince the team that we can do a hardcover because I want to be, I want the book to be an experience of sacramentality where the dust jacket veils the reality and hides it. And that, but that the reality can be unveiled and that is always at work and hidden behind what is veiled, what is created. So you can see the reality behind this. She goes, I want people to experience sacramentality just by picking up the book itself. And so the dust jacket with the veil and just the peacock feather tails then go into the icon on the hardcover part where the peacock is in the full reality, sign of the resurrection, etc. On the back is Mary with her mantle, Her whole the whole sky is her mantle. And she just did a brilliant job and I've never, you know, I know I'm biased cause it's my book. Um, I've never seen such a beautiful book cover in my life. I've never seen someone take book design this direction before, which as a bibliophile just made me all the more excited. It actually kind of brought me to tears a bit because I was like, you like, cause she understood my, what I'm trying to get across. Right. But took it to a direction that I, I don't, I don't I'm not an artist at all. And she embodied 
what I'm trying to talk about in book design. And what a what a great gift that is. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And uh, I mean, so often you just see you know, book, book design is is like many things, a bit of a lost art. And mm -hmm. it's nice to see this kind of uh, this kind of thought go into it. And and this is I mean, I've I own and have seen a lot of books and and mm -hmm. i've never seen one quite like this one i mean it's it's not a it's not a cookie cutter design in any way yeah um they uh they really um i, I mean just just went sort of beyond above and beyond on the on the creative level to uh to, to pull this off i think Absolutely, and it, it's it's well. First thing is, you know, if it ever goes into reprint, they won't be doing hardcover again. So if you want the hardcover, you got to get it now. Uh, but uh, it's uh, it's um, it's nice to see them take the chance on this because beauty is such an important part of the reading experience. And like you know, you always hear that famous you know thing of don't judge a book by its cover. Uh, I really hope people actually do judge the book by its yeah, cover. You know, okay. I really, you're I really okay. want people, them like, yes, go for it you know, yeah, exactly. Because it really is. It's just, it's, uh, we want people to see that they, that this book has been carefully prepared for them. Right. I mean, it, it's really beautiful. Like you see, I, you know, seeing people on Twitter and stuff, opening up their packaging from when they ordered it from the sisters and the sisters, you know, they carefully pack it and everything. And it's just like all the care of every step of the way to, show you that this is that they want to give this to you not yes you're paying them for the book but that this is a gift to you and that they want you to receive this as a gift it is not something you really get often in book publishing it's just about getting tons out there making your making your margins and moving on and for the sisters this is a mission and you see this in the design and this is not like i'm they've done other really unique designs with other books too in the last couple of years that um you don't see this in other even catholic publishers and uh it's what a, yeah, I'd never would have in a million years dreamed of something like this. I've told them like, I, inside, I don't care about, you guys need to submit this for design awards for books because. Oh, they absolutely. They do. have, yes, they have yeah, to, I they have to. Yeah, yeah it, 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 it is deserving of, of recognition uh, above and beyond uh, what happens to be in it. But I know that you have a lot of interest in what's in it. So we'll, <laughs> we'll talk. We'll talk a little bit about that too. Sounds good. But I, but I did want to, um, I did want to pat them on the back for sure with this, yeah. just because uh, because it, it people need to be aware of it, and um, you know, and I'll I will uh, in show notes I'll certainly put a link not only to where people can order it, but also people uh, people can see what it looks like. And, yeah, uh, and it's. Uh, you know, I'm I'm very much of a physical book guy. I've just mm -hmm. I've I've done you know I do a little bit of reading on, um, you know, with digital books, but I've never taken to them. And yeah. I just I I like to have a real a real book. And for a book on sacramentality, this is uh, this is you want the physical object there. I feel like. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm with you. I am also a like when I'm traveling, everyone always gives me a hard time because my my carry on backpack is always like filled with <laughs> right. like 12 to 15 books because you always have to have a library because you never know what so, you, you're going to be in the yeah, mood for. You, right. You don't right? you don't know what. And you've also. Mood might start. And if you have check baggage, there's some more books in there. Right. Well, the problem that you run into, though, when you travel is that uh, more often than not, I return with more books than I than I left with. So you've got to you've this, got a plan for that. too. This is my problem with my fall trip. I did not. Ex actually, I had to get a second bag to bring home because <laughs> I was not I really I had no plans of buying anything. You know, I was like and then, you know, I went to the Pauline Sisters store. I had to buy some stuff there and actually I had a bunch of Jack Philippe stuff. So I had to buy a bunch of it. And, you know, you're just, oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. you have to, you have to support the sisters. Right. So, uh, it's just like, it was just, yes, I, I hear it, but no. And it's like, you know, they probably are going to have an ebook version of this at some point here, but I really want to encourage people. Like I, I'm with you. I there, cause there's also something about the experience of reading a book in its physical form around memory and experience and retention that I just don't think you get from a digital book. I'm not like, anti-digital book and some people it just really works for them but like this book i really i almost like i was like should we really put out a neat book because i just think <laughs> you need to read this 
in its in its physical book form. This is the right. only way to read this book, especially because of the experience of how beautifully it was made. And plus, yeah, when I got my author's copies, you know, they were just fresh off the press. So you give that that good new book sniff. You can oh, smell yeah, the glue absolutely. and it's just yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, and you, you just mentioned Jacques Philippe. And and I, I think that you actually are the person who who first recommended him when I listened to your <laughs> podcast. And, and I will I want to pass along to people that they need to be reading Jacques Philippe because he's really uh, uh, has been has been very influential on me and very helpful for me. He's he's really amazing. He's simple, but he's like it's it's got this. It's actually kind of quite sacramental. It's very simple, but there's a great depth behind the simplicity. You can like for me, whenever I read his stuff, I read a couple pages. That's enough to pray with, right? right. Even it's quite accessible. Like it's very easy to read. Um, but he's got. He's got a very good approach to to the spiritual life that's very accessible in in depth and challenging without being judgy, et cetera. I recommend all his work. Yeah, I believe it was uh, was it searching for and maintaining peace. Yeah, Is that the right, the correct, yeah, the correct title there. That, yeah. that was the the first one that I read. You recommended and uh, and I read it just that way. I would read just a little section every morning. Yeah, um, and um, you know it's a it's a super thin book it's not mm-hmm. very big at all but uh there's so much in it um and yeah. i would would absolutely recommend that to, as soon as people finish mysterion of that's course, right that uh that they that they look to uh you know to be backup writers like jock philippe amen um, amen <laughs> yes exactly yes backups <laughs> that's right who oh may help them out too you know, i am you know. i am definitely the backup in that regard <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a tragic story. I was I was talking with a friend of mine. Um, at, this was after I had discovered Jacques Philippe through uh, through your um, through your podcast, and I mentioned Jacques Philippe to somebody, and they said, "Oh, you know, he uh, he came and spoke a year or two ago at the Newman Center here in Lexington," and I was I was devastated because <laughs> because I had no idea who he was at the time, and um, yep. and I'm sure he'll probably never come back right. to Lexington, but but he apparently was just down the road. I mean, I live very close. Oh to the Newman my Center, gosh, maybe, maybe a mile and a half. I mean, oh you know, my gosh, very very close. So so he was right there, and I uh, I didn't have the. I didn't even have the knowledge of who oh, he man. was to appreciate it. So that's rough. Alas, alas, I will, uh, I will have to do have to do penance by reading more Jacques Philippe. There you go. And if you I, never hear him well, in life, then maybe hopefully you'll meet him in heaven. Oh, absolutely. Look, I look forward to long discussions there, and uh, I'm sure I'm sure he'll still be teaching me things. So yes. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about the sacramental worldview. That's yeah. that's what your book is about, mm-hmm. um, and. And uh, you you say the sacramental worldview. This is from uh, from the introduction to your book. Mm-hmm. Means seeing everything created and physical as pointing to God and lifting us into His life. So mm-hmm. so what we see around us, the physical, um, the uh, the sort of visceral reality that surrounds us, is not is not something we should see as a distraction from God, but mm-hmm. rather as something that ought to draw us closer Mm -hmm. uh is that is that what you have in mind yeah i mean and i think one of the examples i actually like to think of often is is the first two chapters of romans where paul talks about this right that man can know that god exists just by his own rational powers because uh he can see the signs of god in his creation and so it's about like recognizing that God's creation is not something that inhibits our relationship with him, but is actually the very means by which he uses to draw us close to him and him and that he uses to draw close to us. That God and his creation are not in opposition with each other, but they're actually meant to be in union with each other. And so but I say that because I think often we 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 tend to almost fall into a uh how do I put it? I, I apologize if I offend any Buddhists, but like this, like almost Buddhist notion of prayer and the spiritual life, as if we need to be a void of all desire and attachments, and that anything physical in this life ought to be just, you know, negated, and anything created is an interference with our true union with God. That is like the least Christian thing you can say, right? Because Christianity is is about incarnation. <laughs> right. It's about God taking on our humanity. You know, and that's something uh, um, many folks listening will will know that I uh, recently 
within the past little over a year became Catholic. And that, I guess, a, a, a growing awareness of um, the sacramentality of, of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't necessarily think of it in, in, this, in those mm-hmm. terms, but, but that's really the idea. And, and a, a, um, an embrace of the incarnation in that way was was a big part of that process because in in my protestant life there was very much a um an impulse to spiritualize things right um and minimize the physical that the physical was really something that was in the way of the spiritual right and that we had to sort of get beyond these things and not be distracted by them. Mm-hmm. And sure, the physical can be distracting, mm-hmm. um, and you talk about that in the book. But, mm-hmm. but I think that that what you're getting at here is really key to to being Christian in in the way that God wants us to be. I mean, I was actually preaching on the theme of the incarnation. I mean, obviously during the Christmas season, but really it was like the heart of all my preaching for all the feasts of the Christmas season. Because I'm like, oh, man, we just don't take this seriously enough. If God has taken on our humanity, he's taken on everything that it means to be a human. He's taken on everything it means to be creature. He's taken on everything it means to be creation. He's united that to him. And yet we look at our own lives, our own experience, etc., as in, things that inhibit our encounters with him. We refuse to encounter our own heart. We refuse to look at our own wounds. We refuse to see the struggles in life as opportunities and the living out of the Paschal mystery in our life and in the lives of others. We run away constantly from the fact that God has entered in creation and therefore has said all of this. They, you know, it's, it's, and it's important to always keep in mind the distinctions, right? God doesn't become creation. Creation doesn't become God, right? Good Christology like, forbids that. But it's just to say that it's God's affirming way of saying everything that is truly human is a place that I can be encountered. Like, you know, obviously, on the flip side with that, too, we have to be careful. And I think I, I was thinking about when I was writing the book, should I get into this a bit? I, I, I put a little bit in there about it, but I really avoided it because I didn't want to get too technical. But we also have to recognize that, yeah, there is fallenness in our world and in our humanity and in creation. And that can inhibit our ability to encounter God. But it doesn't mean all of creation, all of our humanity is to be run away from. But it's like, like when you, if, if the incarnation is true, then human, like Christ is the new Adam, which means the new humanity, the hu- new human nature is in him. And we participate in that through our baptism. And if this is true, well, then my own humanity is actually a profound place of encountering the living God, not just when I go to mass or when I pray or I read the scriptures or, but every moment I'm lifted up into his very life because he has descended to enter into mine. Like it's just, it's, it's almost hard to give words to it because it's just like such a mind blowing truth. (laughs) Right. And and you, you talk about, um, in the book, you talk about the idea of of, of the incarnation as, and then, you know, and we understand, of course, that that our humanness brings together not just spirit but also the created body. But yeah. that Jesus essentially, I guess, endorses the physical mm-hmm. through the incarnation. Right. Um, that that his his taking on that physical um, aspect. Is is and and then and then ascending with that mm-hmm. that that's something that that he is I guess kind of perpetually endorsing that that's right. that, that that he is he is showing to us that that is a good thing uh, that we ourselves should embrace right and so and at this and in that how does God communicate to us well he took on our flesh and so it means that God communicates through his creation. And, and through his church, it's always through something, right? Um, it's it's why I think, you know, before I get into the chapter on the church, it's why like later, like in chapter three, I think it is, you know, I talk about modernism, uh, which is a favorite topic of mine in many ways, because I just don't think we recognize just how often we allow that kind of modernist notion to get in, which is nothing more than the denial of, the, of mediation, right? And what I mean by this right. is just simply 
God acting in the world, that God can act in the world. If we deny mediation, it means God didn't create the world. It means we are not created. We are not ensouled, which means we are purely the product of evolution. Um, it means there's no sin because there's no rebellion against God because there's no relationship with him. There's no, there's no election of Israel. There's no parting of the Red Sea. There's no uh, scriptures because they can't be inspired. There's no incarnation because God can't enter into our, into our humanity. There's no salvation because there's nothing to be saved from um, because we haven't done anything wrong to be worth saving. And uh, there's no miracles. There's no church. There's no sacraments and so on and so on and so forth. And you just think you start to realize like, wait, that if, the, if modernism is true, yeah, it undermines literally the whole of the Christian message. <laughs> um, and, and, but we actually live in that day in and day out where we think, oh, I can just, like I, one of my favorite ones that I often hear, and I'm sure you're, you're maybe familiar with it as someone who used to be Protestant. Why do I have to go see a priest to confess my sins? I can just speak directly to God. Sure. But, it, but it denies the fact, as we see in Scripture, as we see in our own experience as human beings, that the spiritual is always communicated in, with, and through the physical. And the physical does not inhibit, but actually makes present and effective the spiritual. And so God... All, God has always chosen to work this way. It is so clear in Scripture. It is so clear in the tradition that this is the mode and means by which God works. Why? Because that's who we are as human beings. We're not just pure spirit. We are physical. Like, And the example I often use, I think I use it in the book too, is language, right? A word is a sacrament in a way. It's something perceptible encounterable that makes present and effective something invisible, which is the thought in my mind. It builds a relationship and encounter between two embodied creatures. Um, and so God, this is how God created us. So if he created us this way, the word, right? yeah, yeah. So if God created us this way in that natural mode, then sacramentality in the life of the Christian is just taking this in its redeemed sense and, and elevating it to a whole new degree because God communicates and interacts with us in the according to the way that we can know him. He does not, it's not like an immediate personal knowledge of the truths of faith that he infuses in each one of us individually and isolated from the whole Christian body, but that he reveals it in creation, through history, in concrete places and times, because this is how we actually know things. Let's back up just a yeah. little bit, because I want to... I want to to focus a little bit more on that the idea of modernism so the yeah. book has a has a couple of of bad guys got a couple of villains in the book and one of them is modernism <laughs> that's right and uh, I, uh, w there's another one i want to talk about in a minute okay but um so so you um you've defined you talked about modernism and you talk about in the book of modernism as the denial of mediation mm -hmm. um and i guess how do I, how do I get my mind around exactly what that means? Because I mean, you you just talked about it to some degree as sort of, as this, to its I guess to its logical conclusion, you're essentially denying, if not the existence of God, at least God's role in creation or in in interaction mm -hmm. with the world. How though does it? How would it have an impact? You know, if I say, well, I'm, I'm, I believe in those things. I believe that mm -hmm. God created the world. I, I believe uh, in miracles. I believe, um, you know, I believe in, in these things. I'm not an atheist. How have I been affected um, by modernism if I say, well, but I'm, but I do believe in God and I am religious. I believe mm -hmm. in Jesus. Um, how has modernism or how is modernism mm -hmm. a danger to me? I think in a few places, um, one is kind of like the, how we approach the sacraments in general, often, as, at least for Catholics, is because a lot of times I will hear this, like, I don't need to go to a priest for confession. Oh, I don't need a priest to visit me on my deathbed, you know, and or I don't need to go to Mass every Sunday. Uh, or, you know, I can worship God in my own way, right? Which is, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's just, those are some modes of it. I think other modes are more subtle, though how uh, how hard it is for us to take sin seriously nowadays because we think deep down well how does this really offend my relationship with god right you know does god really care about little old insignificant me um 
He's got bigger things to be concerned about. My sin doesn't really matter. It's, you know, it, it, he's merciful enough that he can just forgive me and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so this, it, it's saying, it's it's taking, it's kind of flipping me the problem of modernism on its head a bit where it's saying, I don't think God actually cares about the particular because he doesn't care about my own actions really. Uh, or another way it can come out often in its more subtle forms is um, the idea that we often actually think God doesn't really act in the world anymore. He's not really effective in life um, because he doesn't do things the way we want them to. Um, and so we actually stop believing that God's active will in our lives and the lives of the in the life of the world has any really meaning or impact. Um, and this can really start to breed in us a kind of spiritual apathy and stuff like this that I think is quite dangerous and I think actually a fruit of that. So that's some of the ways I think in its more subtle fashion uh, comes in um, where either it's we believe God's so distant, so far away that we don't think anything we do or say will really make any difference in our relationship with him. We intellectualize belief and think that it's not something that it can be encountered and experienced and live life every day. And so it's just, I believe in God as an idea. I don't believe him as an encounterable person today. And we also then treat Jesus as a historical figure just of the past um, instead right. of someone living and active today, right? Where Jesus is like, oh yes. Like, and, this, and this comes out in stuff like preaching. It's why I, I really work hard to not do too much in the way of like, well, back in Jesus's day, you know, this, 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 this. <laughs> they give like a whole like exegesis of texts to help you understand the historical context, which is not it's the point and purpose of scripture. When you, when you preach this way, you're actually preaching to the idea that Jesus is a figure of the past of who someone who did work at one point in time, but really doesn't work or live today. Um, and so his church doesn't really matter then and so on and so forth. So there's all these little subtle ways. I think it still seeps into the Christian conscience. And I think it's part of the reason why it can be so hard for us to live life in a vital way because we, we live in, we also have our feet in the world we live in. And so we breathe that air and it's hard when you breathe that air more daily than you breathe the Catholic air, it gets hard to see that. Make an interesting point. Um, you, you talk about uh, sort of the, I guess, the formalities of, of going to a priest for confession or, or uh, having last rites or, yeah. um, you know, the, the uh, uh, participating in, in, in the official sacraments, I guess. I know that in, in your book, you're not talking about those per se, right. but, you know, and, but people say, well, why, why do I need to do that? And, I think that that you make a good point because essentially you're what you're saying I think is that the the necessity of of and I don't mean this in a negative way of going through those motions of following that form mm -hmm. maybe I should say that that is a way in which God speaks to us about in a sense our own importance he cares enough about me particularly yeah that he expects me to do those things, that it's not just this sort of abstract, amorphous, mm -hmm. you know, um, me and Jesus got our own thing going kind mm -hmm. of kind of idea, uh, but but rather it's something that I particularly have to pay attention to and follow in a serious way because God is serious about a relationship with me. Exactly. You're listening to the Cultural Debris Podcast. When talking about, and, and, and I'm not saying this in a way to be, be critical of, of uh, my, my past uh, background as a Protestant, because mm -hmm. there, uh, there's a lot that I gained from that. Mm -hmm. but, um, but, this, but appreciating sort of the sacramentality of these steps um, has really... I, I, meant a lot to me i know mm -hmm. because maybe say from like an evangelical standpoint and i i yeah. in my past wasn't really evangelical per se but but still um that these that these uh formalities get in the way right um but but they're not 
getting in the way. They're mediating. Yeah, is, is kind of what you're saying. Yeah, and it's it's to say that the sac like the whole sacramental vision of Christianity, right? That out of which like it's the those are the that's the logic out of which the seven sacraments kind of come from, because it's just saying like it's saying that to be human is to have like this is going to be me getting a little bit more theological here, I guess, but um, this this is me kind of trying to give word to stuff that. Balthazar talks about in his in his theological aesthetics that form shape right like this is very platonic too like form shape um, has a real importance and that the whole logic of the Christian is that the universal is made known through the particular and and how do we know that God the infinite God Father Son and Holy Spirit is made known through the person and humanity of Jesus Christ the universal is made known through the particular, and you have access to the universal through the particular. And when we deny, like, so a lot of Christianity, though, I find nowadays, and, and it's, it's existent really everywhere, is that there's a certain formlessness to Christianity of a spiritualism that denies our embodiedness, which is not the Christian way of living. It's never, it's, it's just not been the Christian way of living for, for most of her history. Um, because to be human is to say, yes, I'm a limited creature. <laughs> I am limited. I have the potential of which freedom brings, but I can't do 20 things at once. It's actually impossible. Freedom is not doing what you want, when you want, how you want. Freedom is embracing the fact that I am limited and seeing in my limit the opportunity to encounter the infinite. And that this is the heart. And like, not just in the Christian sense, I just think in that basic human sense, the more we can embrace our creatureliness, the more we can actually be like freer <laughs> again, because we right. like, I mean, and I think in like the more popular culture sense of things often, it's like, Oh, you know, you're, you're only limited by your capacity to dream or whatever junk like that, you know, like it's such vacuous sure. junk, but it's, it's an, it's, it's building up this notion that, your body, your limitedness is actually a barrier to your true identity. And Christianity says, no, no, no. That's actually the basis of your identity. And God loves that so much that he gives you these forms, these ways to come to encounter him so that he can help you see the dignity of that. I, yeah, I, I think that... that um... Going along with that is sort of we have this the modern idea of um, uh, that we've had well since the Enlightenment of the the, the breaking down of hierarchies mm -hmm. um, that because we have seen those as limitations on us and and in some ways in certain ways societal hierarchies mm -hmm. can be that way right but at the same time there is a sense in which if I refuse to accept, like you, like you said, the, the, the notion that, that there are limits, that, that there is a place for me in the world, and that there are places that I can't be. I mean, yes. you know, the sort of, I, I, I will never be an NBA center. Uh, <laughs> that is a place that I will not be, yeah. you know, no matter how badly I might want to be that. Yeah. Um, that's simply not a place where I will be and where I would thrive, right? right. Um, because I would never get a rebound, and uh, <laughs> they would, and my shots would always be blocked, right? So, right. <laughs> um, so I have to find, okay, what is it that, how is it that God intends for me to thrive, right? Um, and 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 that's going to be different. It's going to be unique to yeah. me. Um, but if I resist sort of if i resist that reality then i i become less than what i could be rather than more right and it's 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 like i've been i've been on a big kick on the notion of charisms lately <laughs> um actually this was a tiny little plug. That's this Friday's uh, clerically speaking topic. Uh, okay. Because this well, is the, by, yeah, go ahead. This yeah. this will come out after that. So okay, so listen it, back. It, that should be a released episode by the time you hear this. There so you go. Finish this. Finish yeah, this episode, but, and and then you can go listen to that. There we go. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, but this like because what are charisms? They're particular gifts. They're particular gifts that God gives to someone through baptism, 
uh, for the sake of mission and life of the church towards the world, right? And so um, I, for example, I, I am convinced just because I've had enough people both in the authority in the church and in my life tell me I have a gift for teaching. And I know this, I love it, and I have all my reasons for discerning this. Uh, I do not have a gift for craftsmanship at all. I, I am horrible with my hands. Um, and I'm okay with that. Uh, I mean, I w- and I look with like a holy envy, I guess, at people who can do these things well. I'm like, man, I wish I could do that. Man, that's so amazing. Thank you, God, that that person can do that. But the whole point of uh, in the limit, if you will, is recognizing that there are others to fill the void with their gifts so for the sake of my own thriving and vice versa. So, so you're going to you're going to write the book, not design the book. Right, exactly, right? <laughs> I'm going to write the book. I ain't going to edit it, you know? Um, right? Um, and so this is, I think, when you see, you see, when you see limit is actually indifference, if you will, become the means of communion, not the means of ice. You see, so we, we, we have these kind of modern notions where we infinitize our, our, our will to a point of, of insanity because we actually see difference and limitation as bad and we see them as inhibitors to our dignity and our thriving and we see different so then if i encounter someone who holds a different opinion for me i was just talking to some people about lunch about this i don't see them i don't see that difference as an opportunity for communion i see it as an opportunity for division right you see modernity sees difference as tribalism christianity sees difference as the mode and means of communion Right? What is the Trinity? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son nor the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Holy Spirit of the Father. The Holy Spirit is not the Father or the Son. There's a difference, a real difference right. in the persons, but there's a real community and unity to the point that the difference is in the unity and the unity is in the difference. This is, and so for Christians, it means like for us, our limit is not, is not a burden. It's actually the beginning of our dignity. And so we have to embrace these created forms, our own createdness, our own limitation, and that God uses the limits of this world to communicate himself to us through the sacraments, etc. that this is actually a, not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. All right. I want to turn to the other villain. Okay. Of the piece. And yes. that is a CD. <laughs> I knew you were going to read that. was going to be that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... So acedia is not a common word Correct. these days. Yes. What uh, you but you're using it to describe something very specific. Tell me what what is acedia, and how do I avoid it? <laughs> so, my pithy definition as often is the inability to choose the good. So, in just as a quick little background, acedia is part of the eight evil thoughts in the Eastern tradition. In the West, we call it sloth. Um, but it's more than sloth because acedia manifests itself in the tradition in two ways. It can either be avoidance and laziness. So yeah, I'm sitting on my couch for 12 hours a day because I don't want to do the work that I know I have to do for my state of life. I, I know I have to feed the kids. I just don't want to. Um, I'm going to choose to sit on my couch and I'm not going to choose the good. I'm just going to avoid it. Or I avoid the good by excessive busyness. I'm going to load up my life with all these things except to not choose the one thing necessary. You know, I'm working 16 hours a day, but I'm not praying. Right, um, I'm avoiding God. So acedia it, it it can manifest itself in, in in both these ways, and at the heart of it is that it's a running away from reality. <laughs> it 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 refuses to see reality as a gift, and it says so. It's in a yeah. sense kind of a denial of the sacramental. Exactly right, you're and that, kind of, yeah. you're denying sacramental. Right, because at the heart of sacramentalism is really realism. <laughs> Right, it says everything. Everything about our concrete life and existence is actually how God is working out our redemption in every day. And Assyria is saying, "I don't like the way that that God does that. I'm just going to avoid all that. I'm not going to deal with my heart. I'm going to avoid prayer because I don't want to see my heart. I don't want to change. I don't want to do anything like that. So I'm going to get busy so I don't have to. I can make excuses to not pray, or I'm going to sit in front of the TV and not ha- and kill the desire to prayer. And so." Acedia says, I don't want the good. I don't want the good. I don't, because the the good is in the real. <laughs> and um, that beca- that's a real problem. I think that that's why I was connecting that to apathy earlier around modernism. Because 
it's in the way it's also kind of saying, I don't like the fact that I'm embodied. I don't like the fact that I'm limited. I don't see myself as a gift. And that is a very, my pastoral experience, because actually a lot of the book comes from pastoral experience, interestingly. Like it's my kind of way of doing a catechetical or mystagogical reflection on the Christian life to apply to a lot of pastoral problems I see in people's lives. And I think like acedia is like one of the big sins nowadays. <laughs> it's like uh sure. it is a it is a big one. And and I say it also too from experience. I am very cognizant of the fact that it's one of my dominant sins. And how so that's why I, I often can easily speak about it because I know it from experience very well. <laughs> um and so sometimes you go to a priest who may not know these things, and I'll say, Yeah, Cedia, I gave into Cedia these ways, and he's like, What's a Cedia? <laughs> Never heard that. <laughs> so but yeah, I'll it's say, believe me, I'm guilty of it. Trust me, I'm just guilty <laughs> of it, you know. Uh yeah, it's but it really it, it's saying, I don't I don't want the gift of reality. And I mean, at the heart of the book in some ways is to say turn your heart into that receptive stance receive everything as a gift sometimes that gift will be a suffering and sometimes that gift will be a real joy and blessing but take it all as it really is a gift and when you can start to do that you start to see that all of this that god has put in front of us in subtle and mysterious ways he communicates his life and grace to us it, it seems to me that uh, the way you're approaching acedia, that acedia is is escapism, right? Yep. And our entire culture is built around promoting escapism. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, all all of our culture, mm-hmm. all of it, mm-hmm. is built around promoting escapism. Now, I don't, maybe that's the case of, of past times, too. Of course, acedia is always, I, I, you know, clearly it's a, it is a danger of human nature, but... It seems like that that's everything that our society does is is seek to draw us into a seat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because and this is the thing. It's for me the great irony today in an over sexualized culture, etc. How little we actually desire. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I mean, you you look you look at. Um, um, looking at just sort of the, uh, I guess the way that society promotes promotes this hypersexualization, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time we have all we have these declining fertility rates, right? And um, you know certain certain cultures are uh, you know not just marriage rates, but even uh, just sort of sex outside of marriage yeah. is is declining not out of morality right but simply out of that lack of desire there's there's no physical incarnational if you, yeah. if you can use it in that sense uh, engagement uh because it's it's the, they've really they've escaped that a, a physical visceral encounter yeah. to an to this sort of abstract uh, a sedia type encounter, yeah. and, and this is the thing: desire is only inflamed through our engagement with reality, with our engagement with creation, with our engagement with life. Um, those days where I do give into a sedia a bit more than you know, just because of my state in life, you're just thrusted into situations, and and there are days where where you're then living out your vocation, not because maybe you're always wanting to go into it in the moment, but because you have to, because you 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 you're going to kind of grudgingly say, okay, I got to go to this meeting. But then you come out of that so alive because you're like, oh yeah, this is what I exist for. This is what I live for. But it was through that experience and that encounter. And, and so um, we, yeah, we do not desire, like, we actually don't know how to desire. We ha- we're thrown with a myriad of choices of things. We are over-sexualized to the nth degree. And we actually have, I, I see a dullness of life out there that saddens me to a deep degree and i i want to go around just like shaking people and saying like don't you realize you're created for something more right because because also the world we live in has given us enough to say i'll give you enough so you don't have to suffer much in life and in exchange all you have to do is kill your desire i mean there's a, a real sense in which modernism is is pushing us 
away, I guess, away from reality. Yeah. All the time. Yep. That it's that it, uh, it it's not it's not simply sort of denying, um, I guess, the creative work of God and and uh, and our encounter with it, but it's constantly pulling us into the not simply a a refusal to encounter God, but a refusal uh, a refusal to encounter God's creation, um, which of course ultimately is will lead us to God if we'll let it. Mm-hmm. But uh, and maybe uh, maybe that's the root of that. But that you know we're seeing a growing um, you know growing technology of virtual reality and mm-hmm. so forth. And it seems to me like that that's exactly you know pulling us further and further away from actual you know, knock on your desk, physical reality, mm-hmm. uh, get out in the, in the garden and dig some dirt sort of thing, you know, mm-hmm. or, or as, or as the kids say, touch grass, right? Is that the, <laughs> the expression these days? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, it's interesting you bring up the, the internet stuff. Cause like at the same time, I actually think there, there is a, I think sometimes we, we treat the internet as too unreal. And I think that mm-hmm. that actually exacerbates a lot of our, behaviors online where we're not conscious of our moral actions online sufficiently sometimes because we we don't recognize it actually is part of creation (laughs) and so therefore there is something to it it is real um it's it is different it's not as embodied right like so we there's there's limits to it as a form of communication engagement and community but um but there you know there's a to to to, i think uh, causes us to embrace abstraction more, or at least that's the yes. danger of it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, right. I, I I would agree with you there too. And it's like, and and this is the thing: abstraction is really, it has its place, but it, it's it can really really dangerous when you take it out of it. Like everything's about like the phrase the the communion of theologians like to use often. It's like at the heart of this is the concrete universal. Right. It's a concrete universal. Like there is that kind of quote unquote abstract or or this thing that I cannot fully grasp in my own brain, but I can grasp the particular through which it's made known to me. Um, And we are increasingly trying to be drawn away from that. And it is dangerous and we have to be careful. We have to reflect. I think for me, we just have to the church has done a really bad job, I think, of thinking theologically about some of these problems lately. Like we need to start. Um, there were a lot of theological battles in the 20th century that I think were needed to be fought and, uh, and needed to happen. Um, but now the world has changed a lot and not for any issues, but you know, a lot of people who are in magisterial positions these days don't have real, inca- don't really understand how a digital world works and right. it's not their fault. And they, they shouldn't have, I don't even think they have to, but what I do think they, needs to happen is they need to let, there needs to be real theological reflection and, and real discussion about this because if we don't engage it properly and help people form it where it is, I think you're right. I think it will draw us to a unhealthy use to the point of utter distraction where all we do is sit at home all day in front of a screen and we actually don't truly know how to live anymore. Right. Well, let me turn to one of your answers to this in mm-hmm. the book, which is, what you refer to as the Marian stance. Mm-hmm. So tell me how the Marian stance is, or well, first tell me what it is, and then tell me how it's an answer to these things. Okay. So Mary is kind of at the center of the book on purpose um, because the Marian stance is the human stance. It's how we are meant to be human. In Mary is the perfect response of Israel. God has been proposing himself throughout the Old Testament to Israel, looking for that perfect yes. And it was like, well, maybe I'll give you a bit, you know, even like David, the great David doesn't give God everything. Um, But Mary is able to give that perfect yes. She is the fulfillment of the old covenant. And so if, if not only this, then she also then shows us what it means to be human, which is this humble receptivity. And it's here that I think, this, it's humble, it's it's receptive, and it's pondering, right? It's contemplative. And it, it's here I think she is actually a great corrective to both ascidia, to modernism, and to even a lot of ills within the church. Because at, 
you know, and I take this from Ratzinger uh, because I, I can't help but quote him um, <laughs> from his book he wrote with Balthazar called Mary Church at the Source. And he has this little homily in there about how the West is too much doing and not enough being and not enough receptivity. And he says that Mary shows us the first answer to God, which is not to take, but to receive. And so the Marian stance is saying to be Christian and to be then most fully human is to be receptive towards God and towards how he chooses to make himself known to us and how he chooses to encounter us. Only when we can receive the gift instead of take it does a lot of the spiritual and moral ills of our lives, the church and the world start to be healed because in Mary, we see how the Christian is to respond to God's gift. One of the things that struck me was, I'm trying to think of the right way to put this, the, the, the similarities maybe in appearance mm -hmm. between falling into acedia mm -hmm. and the Marian stance. Does okay. that make sense? Hmm. That, that, that with acedia, I become passive. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, with the, with the Marian stance, in a sense, I'm also becoming passive. Right. And, and, but, but in a different way. Right. So I, I you know, how do I know I'm being, Marian and not falling into a seat. Yeah. I well, guess. and this, so this is, yeah. And I think it's a fair point because even the notion of receptivity is not a, is not a very popular word. Um, right. Right. Because, it, you know, it's, it's, it's saying, well, yeah, we, we, we hear receptive, we think passive, we think almost like a doormat to be walked over. Um, some docile thing that can be, you know, kicked apart or everything that is actually there's nothing that is actually completely false that is not the christian notion of receptivity the christian notion of receptivity is this kind of active yearning and desire for god to show himself in our life so that we can say yes to him and so there's a real activity at play at the same time right it's that always that both end but it's an activity that doesn't go to grasp but it, it's it's constantly working to open its heart to receive what God wants to give. And so the difference between that and like acedia is, and I also think that it also, by the way, I wrote this chapter on purpose too, because I think we sometimes, especially in like a lot of Christian discourse today, we there's, there's a, I think sometimes feminine aspects of the Christian faith, I think are unnecessarily beat up upon, you know, you'll hear, you know, macho guys say, you know, oh, that's very effeminate. You know, I don't want an effem I want less effeminate Christianity or whatever. It's like, wait, so what's bad about being feminine? Um, and that um, there is some, there is a gift in the feminine that we need to recapture in the church and in our faith that we have lost and that we need and that we can look to Mary towards. So that Marian stance is not a receptivity of being a doormat, but it's that strong yearning desire for your beloved it's it's the yearning of the bride for her bridegroom in the song of songs which is utterly receptive and utterly desirous at the same time utterly active utterly yearning utterly seeking um but it's seeking to receive from the one whom she loves well that's you know you use the word desirous there and kind yeah. of going back to acedia ultimately quashes desire yeah the Marian stance enlivens it, yeah. I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yep, exactly. That's exactly it. Um, because that's really, yeah, that's the stance of being um, human. The fall, we try to take. But Mary, and then obviously even more fully in Christ, it's not a grasping, right? Like Philippians 2.5, right? Though he was had the same mind in you, which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not deem equality with God as something to be grasped at but emptied himself to receive, right? This is whole, his whole stance as son. And so that has to be Mary's stance so that she can give him that humanity that is also that receptive stance towards his father. Um, but it's not this passive, I'm just going to sit here and wait. It's a, it's a receptivity that seeks and desires and wants and loves and is passionate for. The Song of Songs does an amazing job, I think, of bringing this to light. 
yeah, the, the constant desire for for the for the beloved yeah in in the song of solomon yeah it's it's uh it is there's a reason why a lot of the medievals you had you had to be a great spiritual master to really comment on that book <laughs> because it really does actually communicate our relationship with God and Christ, and and not just personally, but then the church's relationship with God. So then, like right. the Marian stance is where it is because she's also the archetype of the church, as the Second Vatican Council says. She is the perfect yes of the church, and so what it means to be Christian is perfected in her. So that, which is actually also like liberating, because like she get we don't give a perfect yes. I've I. I wish I could. <laughs> I am a fallen creature who has sinned. I do not. I have not given a life of perfect yes to God, but she does, and she makes up for what I lack to give the son the perfect yes. His his gift to us deserves. Father Harrison Ayer. Yep. Your book is Mysterion. Yep. And it is from Pauline Press. Where can folks find it? Um, Amazon and PaulineBooks.com, uh, I believe it is, or just Google Pauline Books, and you'll find them. I'll, I'll uh, provide a link great. to that, too. Yeah, so you, if you order from the sisters, it'll be nicely packaged from them. However, at the same time, if you do order from Amazon, that's also good because it helps kick the algorithms into, into gear to start sending it to the international Amazons. Uh, so both places are great. Or, and, or if you and, live near a Pauline Bookstore, you can go directly to the sisters and get it at the bookstore. And it's a very giftable book. Mm-hmm. People would, I'm sure, would be thrilled to receive one mm-hmm. uh, if uh, if people were so uh, were so moved. Yep. To uh, to do that. Yeah, so, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you being on, and um, yeah, there's cool. I, I've I've got all sorts of other notes that I could talk about, <laughs> but uh, I I I know at some point we have to end this. So, yeah, and I have a tendency uh, to talk too much. <laughs> uh, well, hey. That's, that's why we have podcasts, exactly, right? That's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do very much appreciate you being on and taking the time. It's a it's an honor for me to have you on and uh, and to discuss these uh, these important topics. And I okay. definitely want to recommend the book to folks. I think they will benefit from it. Yeah, no, it's it's been great being on here. It's great that we can make this work, Alan. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for being on, and I uh, hope you uh, you continue to enjoy the Great White North, and uh, you know wave wave to any polar bears that stroll by. And um, well, thank thanks to a certain clerically speaking listener, I have some bourbon to keep me warm. Ah, very good, very good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Uh, it's always good to have a little bit of Kentucky sunshine to uh, to help warm the spirits. Thank you, Father Harrison, for being on. Thank you very much. Thank you.